best, the best of you. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Hello, 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 and welcome to Best of the Best Podcast. I like that playing in the background. With myself, Mr. Connor Keyes. Getting very sultry and seductive there, Mr. Rona Mullen, obviously, as always. Lovely. That's very nice. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our 50th episode. 5-0, baby. The big 5-0. <laughs> so when we're talking uh, the 5-0, the only way to do it is the best show that deals with the 5-0. Well, and that is The Wire. We've been tightening this for how long now? This has been probably, uh, was probably number two on our... Number, I'd say. <laughs> definite that we have to do. And that was only maybe, maybe beat by Sopranos. Uh, so yes, we've... Beat? Uh, see, I, that, that's I, where me and you see? went. You see, I went, I went with Wire 2 and I would say you went number one maybe, did you? No, I went with Sopranos, but we're, we're going to explain why. Yeah. Um, but The Wire is, uh, it's special. That's absolutely see, we were we were we were heading into the whole Sopranos thing because we mean you just finished the whole thing again. Yes, we were we going, watched, yeah. oh my god, mm-hmm. you just can't. But then when you do the wire again, I know. it starts creeping up. There's just so many fucking reasons for this film. Or yeah, this I was just show to say, there's so many layers to it. There's so many yeah. characters. There's so many arcs. It's just yeah, it does. And so much. And when you look into it, like uh, we've been, it's it's sort of it's got so much fucking talent behind the scenes doing so many good. Anyway, we'll we'll we'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll talk come about that. that. Yeah, but I mean, it, there's it's easy to put the uh, and maybe we should put a consp- uh, comparison to Sopranos, but Sopranos was very Tony heavy. Um, Tony heavy. Tony heavy. <laughs> heavy Tony. Um, but uh, you know, not saying it was a solo show, but it was very oriented towards him. But this is quite the ensemble piece. Like this is so many yeah characters all with equal screen time you know and, and they, they call it Dickensian in its ooh, approach Dickensian they call it like a novel TV show yeah it's like which I'm, is what, if, if you are gonna like pull anything from this show even yeah. if you didn't like the show you would say there's a lot of really interesting things happen a lot a lot of times a lot of times so yes we have uh, a TV show we're in the TV genre um, from HBO our boys mm-hmm. um, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if it was on an American show that hasn't been HBO yet yeah uh, <laughs> Seinfeld. Seinfeld, yes, saved, saved us there. But then we're going to do Curb Your Enthusiasm at some point, so that's why we're going to run it, yeah. yeah. Uh, so HBO released this uh, starting in 2002. 2002. 2002, way back when, uh, with the uh, basis of the whole show um, emphasis on Baltimore. Yes. Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, and the city and all that goes on in it. The... The sort of thing about the wire always was the the levels it goes to, which is every single level of the city, yeah, from the homeless right through to the mayor mm-hmm. and all in between, and um, with a heavy emphasis on the five O, a heavy emphasis on the five O and the the name the wire, the wire, uh, yes. Yeah, so it brings us into the wire, I suppose, is uh, uh, which explain is their wiretap, yeah, ultimately. 
Um, but it's, it's mainly based around uh, drug kingpins and mm-hmm. criminals and, and the drug uh, problems of, of Baltimore. Mm. Simon has also said that The Wire can be sort of expanded upon to be not only wiretaps, but mobile phone technology, the wire itself, yeah. the, the link between people talking, that's a wire, that's a link, everything's a link. Yes. And no matter what area you go into, that wire is used for, be it corruption, be it drug dealing, be it whatever, yeah. be it for schools, be it for... Whether you're listening to a senator or listening to mm-hmm. a, a low-life uh, thief, mm-hmm. um, it's all the same, sort of, as you say, connection. Um Simon, uh, who you just referred to there, because we just talked to him about him, like he's uh, one of our mates. Like a, that's a surname. Um, uh, David. Uh, yeah. So his name's David Simon. Yeah. Um, one of those fancy ones with two first names. <laughs> Again, <laughs> we keep falling into this trap. Uh, but yeah, David Simon. So I mean, his his background was he was a a, a journalist. He started off with the Baltimore Sun in the early eighties, and he was their crime reporter. Yeah. So, so he I mean, saw he's, a lot. He's going to have a first, literally first-hand experience yeah. by being the first on the scene at most things. I think he was a bit, um, he was very intrigued by certain elements of uh, the police detective, the homicide unit that mm-hmm. he couldn't get into. Uh, so he took a year off from working as a journalist and wrote a book uh, called Homicide. Um, but the book, the book took him, he was basically a year mm-hmm. in cars and in offices and in, you know, these rooms with murder police. And one of the murder police that he found really, really appealing and had a lot of wealth information was Ed Burns. Mm-hmm. And Ed Burns ended up being the co-writer, co-producer, yes. co-everything on seasons one to four of this. So the, the partnership um, definitely worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very strong and effective in coming up with, even just in writing this, let alone getting mm-hmm. to the point of, of being showrunners in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like any good writing, I mean, you need good actors, and that we'll get to that at the time goes. But the writing in this, I mean, it's like we said, it has to follow so many different storylines, mm-hmm. so many different uh, character developments, so many different arcs. And when there's not always a core, because the core unit on TV shows are usually pretty small, mm-hmm. maybe six, eight, maybe ten characters. I mean, I don't know what the list goes on to this. It's fucking it's incredible. Staggered. And each one of them has such a unique dynamic and uh, their own traits yeah. but how they slot into the whole overarching story is just it's mind blowing how they did it I yeah. don't know so running for 60 episodes in total which I always loved that they described it I think David Simon said in an interview it's they created a 60 hour movie yeah and it's one of the best movies you've ever seen which is incredible considering that after every season after season 3 I believe mm-hmm. they thought they were going to get cancelled yeah and he had no, and that's why at the end of season three, it sort of ends like this is it. Yeah. Um, not everything has been wrapped up. Big characters are getting imprisoned or killed. And you think, all right, this, this it could end here. You know, yeah, well, the implication is that everything else just moves on. Being in the unknown behind mm-hmm. the scenes, they had to do a few sort of, as much tying up as they could when when they were left in limbo. But uh, thankfully, they got extended for another two seasons. So mm-hmm. if I've... Five seasons of twelve episodes. Is that right? Or is it one with thirteen? One with yeah, yeah, sixty in total from two thousand two to two thousand eight, and uh, we'll we'll start getting into the cast. Then I mean, the initial, uh, what would you say? The initial love for characters fell on the cop side initially, yeah. mm-hmm. with um, the audience automatically uh, 
I know I did, loving the partnership between Bunk and McNulty. It's it's the love story of our televisual generation. <laughs> yeah. The, there's there's an out there's moments it's, in this. It's Riggs and Murtaugh behind the scenes. I all the shit you didn't see them doing. Yeah. McNulty and Punk do it. Well, you didn't see them getting to the pub and getting roped off and then driving home. Full. Full. After riding dolls <laughs> in the toilet and all. <laughs> Fucking wild, man. Uh, yeah. So Bunk and McNulty. So again, murder police. So in the homicide department. Mm-hmm. Um, probably I don't know if anybody would argue this was probably the most serious department of the police department. Um, so the crime level in Baltimore is serious mm-hmm. um, serious bad because of um the sort of drug wars and the crime level and stuff so to set the sort of scene for it it's uh i mean it's it's a, a very rundown city yeah like pretty like it's de- de- described as that and portrayed as that i mean with serious fucking social problems mm-hmm. um and and when you're getting to see every single layer you really start to take a better understanding as to how things might happen or well they they mentioned a few times about the difference between baltimore city police and baltimore county mm-hmm. and how county police don't want to see any of these these bodies out near there because obviously that's the opulent yes that's part of yeah and that's where all the they give the illusion that baltimore's fine but mm-hmm. then when we talk about west baltimore and east baltimore and this sort of element you get to see just absolute poverty like and yeah the horror of drug dealing on a daily basis and corners, etc. Yeah, so it takes you into, and it's not like it was the first time it's ever been done on TV, but this time it takes you into the drug dealers and mm-hmm. then the people they're dealing to, and also then the sort of, you would call the collateral damage, if you want to call it that, where you have the the sort of orphaned kids who mm-hmm. have lost parents because of drugs and, and or else, you know, either through death or just abandonment. So you've got all this sort of um, happening in one spot, but still done in a way where he's. You know, I don't know. I'm saying you fall in love with characters, but you definitely. Oh, you have a the, 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 a lot of them pulling your heartstrings. Like uh, even absolutely. the ones that are being quite mean and yeah, yeah. have no sort of you know fucking that that comes from <laughs> a fucking battered upbringing. Like maybe some of the worst in it. You're going. I, I like him. He's <laughs> I know a boy like that boy. <laughs> You shouldn't. Uh, so McNulty, um, Detective Jimmy McNulty, uh, <laughs> Jimmy McNulty, played by Dominic West, which again I have to say I was not aware of Dominic West before the wire uh, no. when I watched it. So I was no. very very shocked to hear him with an English accent. Well, it, yes, we'll, we'll speak about the other English accent in it, but <laughs> he it was meant to be John C. Reilly. What? I. Did and apparently David Simon was in a cornfield, a corn maze with his son, mm-hmm. and his phone rang, and it was John C. Reilly. Now, we'll just go back brief for a minute. David Simon, after he'd released his book, and he was, uh, he ended up becoming a writer, Homicide, his book, mm-hmm. Life on the Killing Streets, ended up becoming the Homicide TV show, yes. Life on the Streets. Mm-hmm. So he was a consultant producer on that, and he wrote a few episodes, and he was getting his sort of feet wet with the whole TV thing, and he knew, but NBC is very fucking, eh, don't get too, we don't want it to be too bleak. Right, okay. A show called Homicide, Life yeah. on the Streets, shouldn't be too bleak. <laughs> and Simon just wanted to really push the envelope that wee bit. So he did a show called The Corner, which was a miniseries right, for yes, HBO. That's right, yeah. A lot of the same overtones of the wire, a lot of the same characters same and actors, as well, yeah. And Ed Burns helped him out with that as well. Mm-hmm. What happened with the corner? It won an Emmy, and he started to figure out, okay, if I can do that with this, can we make all of this? Now, Ed Burns, just to go back on him again briefly, Ed Burns wasn't just homicide police. He then moved on to be a teacher. 
That's right, yes. So that aspect of the story yeah. is in there too. <coughs> Not only, nearly every character that you go within the first season, he doesn't look like he's a professional actor. He's not. No. Yeah. He's a cop, mm-hmm. ex-cop, or he's an ex-politician, or he's an ex-drug dealer, or he's an ex... That's and right. they're all yeah. in this show. And that's why this show feels different than others. Yes, there's definitely a, a more natural feeling to this. So and it's, it's, that's why when Dominic West comes... March, Donald West notoriously put in his audition tape for McNulty the night before the deadline. Right. And his wife kept laughing at him doing an American accent. <laughs> so he, his wife left the room and he just filmed himself responding to nothing. Right. And David Simon says he was so impressed because it's really, really hard, first off, to be pulling off the accent uh-huh. to an American producer or an American casting yeah, director. Absolutely. You know, you're going to sign for this. So years later, after The Wire, uh-huh. They're doing, he's doing Chicago, the play, with John C. Reilly. Right, And yes. he says he was sitting in a room with John C. Reilly, and two of them were looking at each other, <laughs> and the direct quote is, both of them said, what the fuck were they going for? Because <laughs> 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 you guys, we couldn't be any more yeah. different in our acting, so in our fucking, style, yeah. in our approach. Why were we going to... Uh, yeah, we always say it in this podcast, I couldn't see. I know, uh, but John C. Reilly, I really... Fuck, it would have been an interesting go. Yeah, and that you know that's fun, but I I really can't see it. No. But also, there's a great fucking story. David Simon and Dominic spent a lot of time. <laughs> Ed Burns says all I could hear coming out of the room was, "Now say it like police," and he go police. <laughs> they were like, "No, police! <laughs> you can't." Ed Burns says he was tearing his hair out trying to get this guy to not fuck up things this accent. But that's I mean, the fact that me and you watched five seasons of this yeah and in the case of Idris Elba as well I don't even and not start once don't did I blink that that boy was going to be English did, did not even start me in Idris Elba we'll get there but yes the exact, exact same shock uh, I suppose the overall thing that really really made me fall in love with the whole thing was the the, the level of detail it goes to in, in in exposing how it works when you say how it works and like how do you always wonder like, how do they get the drugs in there? How do they get it? You know, mm-hmm. how do they get the shipped in? How do they get it? Uh, yes, how is it distributed? How is it through? Produced and then developed. How is it always the same? The like, kingpins that never get caught. Blah blah. And you're going right. Okay, we're starting to see how they do it. Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, another character. I mean, Wendell Pierce is the one who plays Bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendell Pierce, fucking legend. Legend. Um, not a big star uh, up until this. I think he, he was in Sleepers. Remember him? Sleepers? Uh-huh, that's right. Um, Rizzo's older brother, I think mm-hmm. he was in. Uh, he was in, uh, obviously, the follow-up uh, of, of David Simon's stuff, uh, Tremme, but mm-hmm. um, in this he shines as Bunk because yeah. he's the sort of He's the sort of moral guidance, but, but it's just, not really. No, he's a skitter. <laughs> he's a skitter, but Absolute it's just that McNulty's such a fucker Aye. that uh, Bunk doesn't come off too bad. Doesn't it? No, Bunk, Bunk's legitimate murder police in yeah. the sense that it, it keeps him up at night if he can't figure it out. Yeah, but he's a proper he, by do, yeah. to d- deal with that, keeping up at night, he gets blind, paralytic, drunk. And mm-hmm. bokes all over himself and sleeps with other women and <laughs> there's, Lear- the, there's learning that amazing from, learning from McNulty. Yeah, there's that amazing scene where McNulty has sort of cleaned up. There's a season where McNulty cleans up and Bunk is in the bar just shouting Jimmy because <laughs> he wants him so bad so they can skip their about because he's bored with Freeman just digging oh, into the yeah. details of a case and he wants to just have this agent with him. 
And that's his way of saying, I can't have the job when I'm out of the job because I can't sleep if, I, if I'm thinking yeah. about the job. So, uh, yeah. But with him and McNulty... True, true police. As I say. True police. But him, uh, Wendell Pierce, Dominic West, were the first ones hired. Okay. Wendell right. Pierce was actually the first one hired. Mm-hmm. He turned up um, after having an argument with a taxi cab outside. <laughs> and when he came in, he was doing the bunk. Motherfucker. That. So David Simon hired him. He goes, it wasn't even your audition that I hired you on. I hired you on how you were acting about the taxi <laughs> man. Keep, they had an argument about something, money or something or whatever. But he says it was his. Re- I knew that was bunk. I knew that was going to be was him. Was him. Well, you mentioned Freeman there, so that's uh, another detective, Lester Freeman, played by uh, Clark Peters, uh, another fantastic actor um, mm-hmm. who does a sterling job in this because he's cool, calm, and collected. But he's the guy with the uh, the listening ear, so mm-hmm. it's his idea to keep the the wire in place and uh, to, f- to try and figure out. Well, we, we'll get to the the. the criminals at that stage but mm-hmm. to try and figure out how they're operating and where they're operating they were always working in the blind so Lester's sort of thinking always was if we follow everything we will find so we have a quote here which sort of describes uh, Lester's approach um, and it was t- <laughs> I think it could be applied to every city in the fucking world right. <laughs> you follow drugs you get drug addicts and drug dealers but you start to follow the money and you don't know where the fuck it's going to take you. It's like, a, in in that instance, Lester comes into it as a guy who's just been f- fucked over so much and he's yeah. been battered down to, you know, evidence. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of... When you work cl- in evidence, that means you it's, fucked it's up. It's a cliche of just somebody who's a mixture of fucking up and stand up to the system and also not caring anymore. He's just riding out his days of retirement. Um, but then he gets sort of ignited with interest in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does become then the sort of the grandfather of the operation. Mm-hmm. You know, he becomes the, the, the senior, the elder, who keeps everybody in line, but he is methodical with his yeah. uh, with his research. And like he said there, you never know where the money goes to. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're talking about. This is what was always fascinating, but this was a takes you right up to uh, the, the city hall and the mayor. Um, and we'll get to all the, the layers in between. But Jesus Christ, yeah. really fucking layers. So we've got uh, the rest of the ones on the team. So this is what basically, I mean, they become a unit. Um, yeah. That's ultimately what they are, and they have a special assignment, which is to track down and to stop the operations of the criminals, namely in, in, uh, uh, at the start, uh, Avon Barksdale. Yeah. Uh, sort of it's all about, all about initially the bodies, and then... Yeah. They're working their way through drug trafficking, and once they find, yeah, a couple of few, one, the murders lead to drugs, and the mm-hmm. drugs lead to the gangs, and the gangs lead to ultimately a, a leader. Uh, you have uh, Idris Elba as Stringer Bell. Yes. You have uh, what do you call the guy do who plays Avon Barksdale, who was in uh, was it above the room? He was in was it? Uh, Wood Harris. His uh, name is Wood Harris. Uh huh. Wood Harris. Avon Barksdale uh, and Idris Elba, or uh, Russell Stringer Bell. I, I never heard of him. Yeah, Russell yeah. was always the weird part of me. But yep. So Stringer Bell, probably the coolest character you'll ever see on, or the coolest criminal in a way, I think. Up there with uh, Gus Frings from Breaking Bad. Okay. There's just something, he's just a smooth, sleek fucker. Like he, and he's a big fucking. He's a big herd. Tiring fucking monster. Oh, he's but then the brains and all, and then the charm and all. So, I mean, he was always so cool, calm, and collected. 
and Avon is kind of that uh, still got a bit of street st- uh, street gangster yeah. like he's more Stringer's trying to do the Michael Corleone wants to go legit do uh-huh. all that sort of thing and mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking he's uh, Avon's still sunny he yeah. just wants to go out and fucking bait around him but both is smart one works off the really, other really smart yeah um, but uh, I, I think it, it sort of showed that because this was a thing too that we always Avon Barksdale was seen as the, the kingpin mm-hmm. the head of the, the, the pyramid as such but it actually when you, the more as time goes on, you start to realize the stringer was the, the businessman behind it all. Because this is the point of it was when you follow the money, yeah. you realize it is, a, <laughs> and usually does become a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, McNulty and Bunk, as we say, leading the team. Or what was it? Not leading, being led by uh, a lieutenant, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Daniels, and uh, played by must be a guy who's appeared in every fucking. American TV show ever existed. Yeah. Uh, Lance Reddick. He actually auditioned for Bunk. Right. And then I read recently he auditioned for Bubbles. <laughs> what? I right. know, like, yeah. so. He's, he, he pops up on something. He was in Lost. He was in, you know, he's yeah, in he's loads of uh, TV shows. He's a great shows. actor. Like, very good, very good. But um, he is, if I saw him walking down the street <laughs> in any city in the world, I go, that's. Ten Daniel, oh, what's going on there? Like? That walk, be, like? yeah, the way I just, just a stern, a straight stick walk. up his whole walk, absolute Robocop. So he is the guy who he's a brute too. Oh, I absolute tank. Um, he takes on the the sort of leading the the unit, the special mm-hmm. unit to take this sort of uh, wiretap and uh, surveillance uh, forward. So he's dealing then with a, a, a McNulty and Bunk <laughs> under his <laughs> under his fucking command. Uh, as I'm trying to think who else we've got in the team. We've got so, Kima. Kima, obviously. Kima's in there, um, played by Sonia, Sonia Son. And uh, Shakima, Kima Greggs. So, again, um, a member of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sergeant Carver and Herc Hawk. I was Herc and Carver. I thought uh, Herc and Carver, but um, I thought it was Herc Hawk. Sidner. Sidner. And uh, later on we get... But again, all Prez, like... Prez joins him, but... Yeah, yeah. Prez Belusky lands in. <laughs> you know, he's the only one in the whole... Se- in the, from season one to season five, he's the only police officer to fire a gun. Think about it. He does it three times. <laughs> That's right. He shoots his car. Uh-huh. He shoots up into the towers, and then he shoots a police officer. That's right. He's the only one to fire a gun. The only police officer to fire a gun in the whole thing. <laughs> Again, we're going to be talking for a while on, on uh, characters, characters, so Jesus. let us get a... We have a wee clip um, of McNulty uh, and Bonk. McNulty and just being McNulty? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's something you hear quite a bit during the... But these are like a few wee highlights of, you know... It's you against the world, is it? What the fuck did I do? You hear me? Rawls is giving you up. The fuck did I do? You can't shut your mouth. <laughs> the fuck did I do? What the fuck did I do? What the fuck did I do? Jesus, what the fuck did I do? So, <laughs> all of those, right, are usually because McNulty did something yeah, that brought him he, yeah, to he, that, and, this, this point. And it's not a case of he, it's, uh, he's asking the question, you know, what did I do? It's a case of, oh, fuck 
what are the repercussions of what I've just done? What I've just done knowingly? <laughs> knowingly. Now I'm seeing what the fucking uh, result is. So McNulty is, I'm not going to say a cliched fucking rebel, but he is a rebel. In this, he is a rebel. He's and a, he's a very good rebel. Good-hearted rebel, yeah. yeah. And he's always on the side of good, um, even if it means falling out with superiors and disobeying orders and all uh-huh. that thing. And he's a sneaky here. So he'll he's go, a sneaky bastard. He'll go to the papers or he'll go to whoever he needs to, or the, the judge. Um, or the lawyer, he'll he'll find an avenue to. Or whilst drunk, crashing his car, will figure out a way to make it look like his car was hit by another car. Yes. Absolutely steaming drunk. Well, yeah. listen to the pokes. <laughs> listen to the pokes, of course. <laughs> Fall right. oak in the car. Flat. Um. Yeah. Um. And and I mean the underlying sort of. Uh, I'm not going to say a cliche, but it does talk about. Um, police and alcoholism and dealing with the stress especially if you're murder police and you know well that you, that was the sort that can was you a, keep a relationship going yes can you keep, you know that was the, the sort of point of season four when mcnulty decided to go move to his old position again in the western uh-huh. and he's just like street police like and he's sober uh living with a woman everything is fine and the minute he's brought back to homicide he's just a fucking scene again <laughs> Bucking dolls against the car and <laughs> fall all over the show, bogging over the place. Just, it doesn't depict homicide as the a place for anyone with any sort of soft notions of yes, police work. Be, no, you wouldn't want to be heading in that direction. No, <laughs> um, and I mean, you definitely wouldn't want to live in Baltimore either. From, from not, a, not the hope. Uh, so you've that's sort of the 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 police side of things. Uh, you have Stringer Bell, obviously, and uh, Avon Barksdale mm-hmm. um, being the head of that. But then this is the joy of this that takes you down through each level then of sort of what the mafia would have called captains. So you yep. sort of get your head your head sort of leaders and then you go down to literally the guy standing on the corner or in this, in, in this instance, the famous couch, the sofa. Yeah, with all the soldiers. All the soldiers. So Pawns. Pawns. Um, the... Uh, basically, Avon uh, Barksdale and Stringer Bell have the control of the towers, as they're yeah. known as. And these basically are just uh, projects, you know, these housing sort of um, block of flats is what mm-hmm. we call them. Mm-hmm. And so, but they're riddled with l- lots of drug addicts who yes. require, uh, require the, the, the crack. They love, they they love, love the crack. Crack cocaine. Um, <laughs> so they've got sucking dick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Loads of them, boys. Like. Lots of that stuff, and and this is what then you take you down to the the user level as well, mm-hmm. which is a very rare thing to do to to capture everything from the people at the top making the the sort of bribery, uh, corruption, right down to the guys who are trying to steal copper just to buy their next hit. Mm-hmm. So, um, what's one of my favorite characters is one of the the guys who is uh, homeless and and uh, ultimately an addict, mm-hmm. and that is Bubbles. Bubbles initially signed on as a, a CA or as a tout, as we like to call them. Uh-huh. Touting, touting for um, cash, for cash, for crack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's touting. Hey, well, touting for the crack. <laughs> thanks to all our American listeners <laughs> for tuning out. Because <laughs> you do know what the fuck's going on now. Ah, uh, don't worry, don't worry. You'll you'll figure out the cracks enough. Um, Bubbles was a real person called Possum, right? Okay, and Possum was like uh, brought up on some sort of. Uh, he was he was also a guy who had like a photographic memory, right. and he, he was a, they say he was a CI, a confidential informant for every agency in Baltimore, <laughs> and he was just getting twenty ten dollars like from five six different sources a day. 
and it was David Simon actually wrote an article about him for the Baltimore Sun in 1982 and it was his obituary as well because he had passed away Okay. so he just remembered him and just kept him in mind that there's this really intelligent guy who's just gone down a really poor path and mm-hmm. he, we can't get him out of it but he was the most vital source of information in Baltimore <laughs> yeah. for years Yeah. Uh, so Bubbles um, played fantastically by Andre Royo yeah. uh, was uh, initially Kima um, Detective yep. Gray or Sergeant Greggs, um, initially her CA, and there's a, a what would you call it again? He was a lovable character and he was a lovable, um, obviously essential tout, <laughs> but at the same time, he was respected almost. You could see like a sort of a love, not a love in that sense, but there was a lot of care starting to come both sides from the police to the to Bubbles, and uh, especially between Kima and him, which I thought was always. Because we always ever see, you know, they are technically being abused and used for their, you yeah. Know, they're being put in a dangerous situation for Titan and blah blah, but they're also putting themselves in that situation. But Bubbles and he gets was, his, you know, he's getting he, his hit. He got away with some stuff. Oh yes, that's. Um, yeah. He also got, uh, he got paid for what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was also the one that was. Whenever something happened to the police, he was affected by it. Whenever something happened to him, the police were affected by it. Yeah. So it was a two way street, um, but. The 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 part about putting the hats yeah. on the boys to take a photograph, Genius. like they would say, we need to find out who boom boom boom. And he goes yeah. right here, put the red hat on. Yeah, who's a soldier? Who's a pawn? Because there's different. Yeah, there's and this different is when they're like, like they're that. monitored from you know the top of a building, hundreds of yards away. Yeah, so and they, they know exactly who they're meant to be photographing. Yeah, yeah just by trying on these hats, yes. and it, it's kind of like. Um, he just does it like somebody who's trying to sell roses. I said, "Nightclub, yeah, you know, he's you pretending want to try this, try he wants to get a few dollars for yeah. these hats he's found somewhere, but he's actually setting these boys up to be photographed. It's by an undercover unit. It's genius, brilliant. Uh, and he, he sort of has a partner then, the, the guy who sort of it's, it's a small role, but he helps him along. But it's a quite a he's like in he, and out. He's in and out, but yeah. he also shows you Bob's care inside, and he's right. trying to look after the guy. And he's he needs to, he needs somebody to yeah. talk to. You know, he's a, he's an intelligent guy, and he wants to pass on his wisdom. And but you also get to see the desperation. Yeah, and you get to see the 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 levels that they would stoop to in order to get that fixed, not just yeah. the CA stuff, but the the looting and the robbing and all the other things. That's a good dick, man. Yeah, but but even I remember when it was coming near the end of the season five, and me and my wife were watching it, and. The only thing she said was, as long as Bubbles is okay. <laughs> like, what about me, Nolte? And she goes, no, Nolte's nah. fucking around again. As nah, long as exactly. Bubbles is Given a chance, Bubbles. No, I uh, I would agree with that. Um, so then you have, uh, we, we sort of talk about the younger, the young'uns. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they are the, the pawns. They're the guys out on the, on the sofa. So there's about three or four sort of main mm-hmm. characters in that. One of them being uh, young Michael B. Jordan. You, Wallace? Wallace, yeah. Who, who was up for Bodie, and okay. they were like, no, you're you're too young. Mm-hmm. Which he was, you know, he was, when you yeah. look at it, and he was very young in this, like... Hey, yeah, I think he was, was he 14 or he's 15? He's very young, yeah. but he's extraordinary. Amazing, amazing thing. Uh, it really showed where he was going to mm-hmm. you know, Oh, he, up, he's exceptional. He, he has, he has and, and a cast of absolutely exceptional uh, actors and non-actors. And non-actors, uh, yeah. The, the believability of this show is through the roof. There isn't he, one doubt. He, he stood out. And to be honest with you, I didn't... It wasn't until maybe rewatching it again three, four years ago mm-hmm. that I realised who he was. Yeah. yeah. I was watching it, I was going, that's... And then I had to go and check then. I was like, mm-hmm. is that him? And I was like, fuck. So yeah, um, Black Panther, obviously, and Creed, um, and major shows he got, mm-hmm. has been uh, on the 
all came about because of this. I mean, this is this was this a starting is, point. And, like. and if we can go back to the sort of the overarching sort of notion of this, HBO picked it up. HBO ran it. HBO did everything they could. Mm. But they feared that because it was predominantly uh, African American, yeah, that that's why the ratings were just nowhere near what mm-hmm. they're supposed to be. Yeah. Now this is a show that can't be lauded high enough, and it was n- it never won an Emmy. It no, got nominated it twice, yeah, right, yeah. but it never won an Emmy. At the same time, The Sopranos was eating everything up, getting mm. 10, 20 million views. This was getting 1.2 to 4 million viewers. And it took a long time for this to catch on. And I maybe think, that somebody said like 2012 was when it hit its peak and it had been finished for four years. Yeah, gone before that, yeah. You know, people were I coming back and watching reruns of it I and their millions. I didn't get onto it, I don't think, until like season four. You know, live. Uh, I was like, was like four years in before I even... Well, I'll tell you a story. Go. Because you don't remember. Right. I was at home sick. And you landed at my house with season right. one, two, and three. That's, that's what I had, one, two, and three. That's and right, that was yeah. 2006. So it already right. been on four years. Yeah, yeah, I was right. So, so that was good memory. Yeah, that was good, very good memory. And you give me that and The Shield, and I still haven't watched The Shield. <gasps> I swear to you, Jeez. The Wire just took over. It did take over. And The Shield, uh, well, again, that, 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 you know, it's, I tried, but it was... That's yeah. Uh, you, that was the problem and a good example is The Shield you couldn't watch another cop show after it no and here's here's the point Simon said when he approached HBO originally in 2000 now like I said he'd done the corner mm-hmm. he had a you know he got his feet wet with Homicide and he was a producer and a writer and he said uh, this is verbatim the cable network was wary of airing anything within that well trodden dominion of the networks the cop drama mm-hmm. but Simon appealed to HBO's mischievous side David made the very compelling argument that the most challenging and subversive thing that we could do was to go right into the network's backyard. And he was right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because no cop show since has followed the formula of what came before. No. They all look different now. They're yeah. all a wee bit darker. There is a wee bit more sinister side to every tale. And even the real sort of cheesy stuff like that, Blue Bloods and shit, they either go down the real cheesy route to catch all the people's heartstrings or they have a real horrific moment. And that's since the that's wire. From the wire, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's, again, we we also something I don't think was really covered in any cop show, and uh, it's still relevant today, as relevant to here as it is to UK and Ireland or anywhere else. I mean, it was police statistics and you know reporting back to numbers, top brass, and all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. Chain of command. So the, yeah, the chain of command, and you're seeing then the ins and outs of the sort of politics with a small p you know the, the sort of internal politics of i have to do this to keep this department happy and i'm yeah. not taking this hit and you're not taking that hit and mm-hmm. sort of like sort of nobody wants to go and report back to the the head guys with bad stats no and one of the guys that is one of the head is burrell who i fucking love this <laughs> i shouldn't yeah. love him because he's a fucking dick yeah he is um, a bit of a dick. but but his real name is frankie Faison. I was saying, nah, nah. so <laughs> yeah. he gets points uh, Frankie Faison is uh, sort of up there with um, Rawls. Yeah, he's a shit. <laughs> Rawls is a shit, but also uh, Rawls has been on the brunt of McNulty's fucking disobedience <laughs> from day one, and he's a proud, a proud man. And uh, there's only so many times McNulty can fuck him over. And then this is what I liked about the show. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we we can find it. But the second season, when it went to the the sort of the port, yeah, because it sort of almost became a new show. 
in a way because it followed like w- a different storyline. Yeah, I sort of wanted to talk about this, but they linked in uh, having from from when you gave me the DVDs, mm-hmm. two thousand six. The second season of The Wire to me is the best standalone season of any TV show ever made. Yeah, and I've never pretty, backed down from that. It's pretty solid now. I don't know with the best, but yeah, it's pretty solid. I, I am. I'll hang my neck out. What I didn't realize, uh-huh. in looking uh, at a bit of research over the last few weeks, is that season season two was the highest rated, right? And they think because there was a lot more white people in it, but also it was the most critically um, panned because they thought that it was going every season was going to do that American Horror Story thing where it was just going to be a different direction every time. Ah, uh, okay. And it wouldn't link back at all to what we loved about season one, but uh-huh. even through season two, it was doing that quite a bit. Like, it did, yeah. I mean, you still had a link because it's it's that's what I think about The Wire is almost misleading. Hmm. This, this show could have been just called Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Because uh, whether it was the ports and leading with, because this season two, what we're talking about, it sort of takes a... Not only a tonal shift, but it takes a location shift. It moves to the ports, um, where obviously all the, the the ships are coming in with the freight, and then the corruption that comes with that. Yep. Um, the opportunities then that comes in with drug smuggling, gun smuggling, human smuggling. So you've got all these different sort of elements that again, it sort of deals with that layer. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like every other city, inner city sort of uh, grimy crime show has never really looked at well where are the drugs actually getting in mm-hmm. physically getting in and yeah. like well that's, that's how they do it this is how they do it with ports and, how they do it with, and it's um, done in an incredible way really really smart way yeah and again it's insiders and you're looking then on the second season you're getting to find out about these insiders you know they're just regular guys who have bills to pay yeah so some guys offered them 50 grand to take a, a, a container out doesn't question that there might be 120 humans inside it mm-hmm. um, and it's just one of those things that they just yeah, they will turn a blind eye, and they just made fifty grand for nothing. And they're so, all, it's unions, and it's, it's yeah, it's really into. I mean, unions and 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 it and all starts if you remember to start. It all starts because of that guy wanting to get the picture up on the church window. That's right. Yes, <laughs> the stained glass That's window, right. Valtech. Again, fall boils down to the sort of. The the minutia that you'd never think of. No. So a police chief like taking Absolute the huff, pettiness. Yeah. Taking the huff with a fucking union head uh-huh. because the union head got in to donate to the, the, the stained glass window to the church before he did. You know, and again it it it's it was amazing, but again it's probably based on some sort of reality. I, it probably, I, believe I would it imagine. Is. Yeah, yeah. I mean when David Simon was doing a story somewhere online that was involved somewhere mm-hmm. because it just was so petty you couldn't have made it up. You no. know what I mean? It was like a fucking window, but that's where and it showed you how personalities and egos can take over what could should, could and should be a decent police department, for instance, yeah. or a decent trade union or you know, whatever. Uh shipping union. But no. Um whenever <laughs> pride and fucking uh it, religion it, comes it into play just incredible like because we we have predominantly luck we've seen a few of the like you were saying the police commissioners and the deputy chief of ops mm-hmm. and you've seen the sort of way they were trying to struggle with the stats and how can we push them in a different direction mm-hmm. and if it isn't going to mm-hmm. be flamed off because they've got a board and this board has to go red yeah and if it doesn't, and it sits there, it means that their rate, their percentage mm-hmm. of uh, achievements of completed murder to the, the going to court is, what was it, like 50% or yeah. something they were saying, don't go over 50? 
and they're fighting every day for that number <laughs> yeah. not to fucking re- in a city that's literally shooting people five, six, seven, eight a day, mm-hmm. and you got to you got to fucking solve these crimes like. And now you get a container. And now you get a container in season two filled with bodies. With bodies. So your murder rate goes through the roof, and mm-hmm. there's fighting then of again showing you the the horror which is what it is oh, the, yeah, the horror of like departments and government departments fighting with each other going they're not mine i don't want them and, Aye, and, and that's the thing and there's no th- point where they go isn't this horrible Aye, they're, they're all going it happened out in the sea so that's baltimore county and they're like no 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 it yeah. happened on your porch so it's baltimore it's you <laughs> and you're looking at it going, these fucking people so that's what it is so it sort of just dehumanizes them completely um where it just becomes numbers and i think that was a very good um sort of point that was being made in the film or in the show i called the film Sixty hours. Uh, a very good point being made was that you know sometimes statistics and and stats outweigh maybe the humanity behind mm-hmm. you know the fact that there was uh, whatever number of dead people were in the in the container. Same thing happens in big companies when they say we got to cut twenty percent off a of budget. Yeah. Then that goes down a level, and they go, "Well, what's that mean to us?" Then that goes down a level, and they go, "Well, it means your staff." Yeah. And that goes down another <laughs> yeah. level to the store, and then they go, "We got to cut twenty percent of you yeah. in every store in the, in the U.S., U.K., Europe, whatever." And that's that. You're right. It's the stats don't actually take into consideration the person of all the thing. Yeah, and that's and I mean it's because there is there are so many social issues being raised in this show. It's unbelievable. You you, you couldn't keep track of them all. Like there's no. so many. Um, you're into then. Like I mean, you're like we talked about the the young guys, Michael B. Jordan, and and uh, we played Wallace, and you. Uh, Brody, Bodin and guys, and then D'Angelo Barksdale, D'Angelo Barksdale who's looking who's, after these kids, sort so, of, kind of, sort of, but becomes, and he's having breakdowns every week. You know? <laughs> he's sort of one of them, but not one of them. And yeah, yeah, he wants to be one of them, and he wants to be the boss at the same time. But then you've sort of got the in in gang fighting then because you're starting to see the background of where the drugs come from and the quality of the drugs and who cuts more, and who cuts less, and you know, there's detail in this is unbelievable. All the while they know they're being surveilled and they know they're being watched. Um, or they they don't know they're being well, watched. They don't, and that's that's but, the incredible part of the start. But they know that. But they're careful enough to know that if they were, they're they doing it sneaky on a phone. Yeah. And these burners that burner keep phones, popping up. Yeah. So a burner phone is when you buy a new phone, just dump it after like, the and, minutes run out. And the re-up spots. The re-ups. <laughs> you start to get into the code. We go five oh five oh. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Got points the in the PS. package, and I'm going. I see the. PS. I know what that means. Then. I see the PS and I drive past, and I'm going to five oh five oh five oh. Um. Yeah, and uh, loads of slang and loads of. I mean, runners. No, runners. The, the boy takes the money, doesn't sell the drugs. You know, drug, yeah, you're like fucking hell. Angles to this, like it's. it's this is years, centuries but, of this building up. But what it also does as well is the sad reality of America is that there are a lot of uncared for children. Oh yeah. So what was happening was yes, they were being groomed and they were sort of brought into um, dealing drugs or or being involved in that sort of running as you would call it or lookouts or sometimes they still came back to a a, a, a fucking abandoned building mm-hmm. and and needed somebody to sleep. you know what i mean these this is we can't really get our heads around that living here in ireland we don't have that issue with children just not having anybody to look out for them yeah um uh, social services do their job and if a child runs away it won't belong to their back. You know what I mean? It's yeah, too yeah. small of a place. But yeah. over there, it's so many kids. So it showed you then Wallace, um, almost being like a foster father. You know, not a father, but he was just making sure they got them up and you know get to school. If you don't get to school, social service will be called for, and then they'll take you into a care home, and God knows what will happen. You know, so you're sitting there watching, it going, "Fuck, 
we don't realize how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's <laughs> we're fucking blessed. Yeah. Uh, then you're you're back again to the cops versus the criminals, mm-hmm. and the joy of this is you've got um, again tiers within the cops. You've got different levels as a hierarchy. Yeah. Obviously, a chain of command, but even within the team, so you've got uh, Herc and Carver are the uh-huh. ones who are sent out to do the this just sort of the dog work, the donkey work, the donkey work. But they're not. Let's let's. They're not morons. No. But they fuck up a bit. They, yeah. But they fuck up while also getting promoted. <laughs> like, yes. every season, these boys are in a different level. Yeah. And they're fighting over who's what. But when they're together in the car and the boredom sits in. Yeah, they're just watching and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have, a, we have a clip of just a... Uh, again, just a, sum, a summary from Carver on... Uh, what's going on so we see you'll hear a couple of gangs basically fighting and the two cops are just watching because that's that's all they can do from afar yellow taps yellow taps got them yellow taps what the fuck fuck is up huh fuck is y'all doing yo do what you feel but be ready to finish what you start what are you doing this ain't no open market you know that ain't no market at all nigga you ain't got shit to sell pack that ass up throw that dude you know what? What? Fuck. 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 The sort of systemic problems within the police force in America, and where trying to get rid of a bad cop is virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. They just shuffle them around to another department, or they yeah. move them to another county. Or they move, to, you know, they still stays within law enforcement. Um, and but that's that sums it up there because mm-hmm. they know they'll never get in trouble. In fact, they'll probably get a fucking pension out of it and <laughs> might even get promoted. Right. There's, no, um, there's no checks and balances at that level. Or in any of the levels, as we see, there's pretty much no one no, that, no. that gets pushed out. Well, apart from Bunny. Per Bunny. We'll get on to Bunny. We'll get on to Bunny. See. Now, one guy we haven't talked about. One of the, maybe, even though I've, you know, waxed lyrical about Stringer Bell and we love a bit of Avon, um, there really is only one man that stands out. Uh, it's been said, the quote was, I think, from Stephen King said that it's the greatest criminal on television history. <laughs> and I think he's right. Um, played by Michael Kenneth Williams. Michael K. Mickey K. Williams. Uh, Omar Little. And Again. fuck all little about him. And uh, apart from actually he is little. He is little. <laughs> but he's, he's a it, another boy. Another, we have to say one thing about the unsung hero of this entire TV show, and it's the casting director. Absolutely. Alexa Fogel. Uh, she did every season of Oz, NYPD Blue, This, Tremmy, Generation Kill, many others. But Amazing talk about getting it right. Yeah, absolutely. Every fucking oh. note. Oh, And this one in particular, most of the people just came out of drama school. like, mm-hmm. And I'd been in very little. But we're, she was fucking knocking out of the park every single character. And Omar has been praised in everywhere from the trades to the White House. Yeah. Where Obama said that Omar is his favorite character in TV. And that's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. That a sitting president would say that about 
a gun runner who's a stick up man <laughs> who yeah. robs drug dealers like a Robin Hood. Maybe that's what inspired him. But I mean, you've got. Uh, <laughs> you've I said you're one. <laughs> yeah, you really did, no fairness. But you, you've got, you know, the again back to that thing. You couldn't see anybody else playing it. I mean, Omar had such. Is everything so he's got the acting chops? Obviously, Michael Kenneth Williams, fantastic. Oh yeah, the scar, which, yeah, which again, is already just there. adds more menace to mm-hmm. him just in general. The there's something about the the fact that he was gay, mm-hmm. where he never talked about it in that sense. He, yeah. he, had, he always had boyfriends or whatever, but he never actually you know mentioned it. But the fact that he would. It didn't matter who ever came in front of him. You know, they were just going to get absolutely destroyed because he was an evil fucking yeah. maniac. He was meticulous. But not a, not a maniac, I shouldn't say maniac, because he wasn't crazy with it. He, As you say, meticulous is a better word. Uh, he was very focused on what he was doing. But it just, it sort of added that wee bit of breaking the mold. And like, we never, you never had seen maybe somebody who was being that much of to be that feared um and to be maybe on, on tv shows and openly gay mm-hmm. in uh, in the show well uh, with boyfriends and all the time but then also to have you know tragedy happen and yes a loss and, and, and love he, and yeah. you can see in his eyes he he actually cared for a lot of people and he helped people in the neighborhood and when he was in the neighborhood and he was whistling people knew to fuck off out of the way yeah, he, yeah drug he dealers never, yeah. boys with guns they just disappeared <laughs> but Ken, michael Kenneth williams himself said all right, he's gay. So in the script, there was a lot of Omar's holding the hands of his boyfriend. Omar's in the arms of his boyfriend. But he was like, but don't gay people fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to show that I'm fucking a man here. Like, yeah. And you were going, he, he and he's not he's not gay, Michael Kenneth yeah. Williams, but he was looking at it going, this has to be as real as the rest real, of the yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he was right. Yeah. And there hadn't been that, because um, initially it's not something that's talked about right away. No. It was something that sort of just, and it's not like a reveal or anything, but it was just initially you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, oh, I didn't realize. And I didn't, I didn't see that. That exactly because you were, you're, you're expecting this absolutely terrifying loner. Yes. Who didn't? Who sat on his own in dark houses and waited for? And as you say, a lot of love. He was a very caring soul, and it's almost like an anti-hero because, like I say, oh, yeah. he's. He's a fucking, he's a killer, and he, but he's like a Robin Hood thing. He only, he only robs from the drug dealers. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah. uh, like Dexter, like mm-hmm. Dexter only kills serial killers. Like Omar only robs from the fucking the bad guys. Yeah, and uh, when he does it, he does it so well. And he's got his. That's the other thing too. You know, it's he's got his female sort of um, accomplices, accomplices who would be distractions, and they play the roles of him being straight with them. You know, I mean, the guy was very, very smart, and all his heists were obviously aimed at. The profits of Avon Barksdale, which created this, you know, major fucking beef between the two of them. The, ultimately, the the rivalry was uh, massive because you're talking serious money. Serious. That's the other thing we don't really talk about here. Even though Lester says you follow the money, I mean, you're talking mountains of cash mm-hmm. coming through, and you, you see Stringer Bell going to business class at nighttime and stuff yeah. to try and you know figure this all out. And you're given the impression that a lot of the money is. Only being laundered through a photocopy business, yeah. <laughs> which makes eight million dollars a week. <laughs> yeah. No, because then yeah. they smartly go, no, it's we've, we're, it's actually going to a lot of places. Loads, of, yeah. That's yeah. when Lester and all do their sort of background when they follow yeah. the money. They were fine strip clubs, they were fine apartments, they were fine film stations, everything. Were Investments going, in government, <laughs> government as well. Yeah, 
so we've got a wee, we have we a clip of uh, of Omar because again, Omar, Omar, Omar is one of the just as as like you say the whistling the entrance is always to sort of let the people know he's coming. Yeah, it's almost like a get out of the way and you won't be killed for friendly fire. Yeah, but I'm on the fucking rampage. I'm I'm here. Are you the man with them jumbo sixes? Man, you're fucking one. Take about the 400. Damn. Oh, <laughs> All in the game, yo. <laughs> All in the game. <laughs> Sneaky about, bastard too. Think of it, three or four hundred. Uh, yeah, and then pulls a fucking gun up to his yeah. chin. So you've got Omar then, obviously, creating havoc and creating major enemies. Where uh, major Bart- enemies? But let's go back to Omar for one second because he's also based on a real fucking person who Ed Burns caught, right, and befriended. And when they were doing the miniseries, The Corner, mm-hmm. he was a consultant on it. <laughs> of course, the original. Donny Andrews, <laughs> who was Omar, but not gay. He wanted to make sure everybody knew. <laughs> everybody knows, yeah, okay. That person's, I'm not gay, and you're like, all right, sorry, Donny, but you still kill people, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're like, as long as I'm not gay. You're like, all right. Jeez, that's just weird, Donny. That's a weird place to go, like. So, yeah, yeah, so pretty much they've just brought that character straight off of Donny Andrews, who was just a guy, and they're so smart fuckers, like. Yeah. Even the scene... The, the most notorious scene in the most notorious scene in the whole show I'll say is a five minute analysis of a previous crime where the detectives Bonk and McNutty only say fuck and this scene ha- is now being studied uh, in film schools in for its direction for mm-hmm. its sound for its layout for the acting for everything and it comes from David Simon was on a one of the cases reporting, uh-huh. and there was a live case happening, and he was brought to the case live, and all he heard was the detectives talking to each other by going, shit, what the fuck are they? And none of them were saying a sentence. <laughs> they were just all analyzing the scene, and the, the detective himself, who he was following, turned around him and said, you know, one day all we're going to be able to do is just communicate to each other by <laughs> saying fuck. <laughs> And David Simon kept it in his head for like 10 years and wrote it in his name. Made it. Now, you can't write that. No, you can't. So he said to Ed Burns, you do it how you would have wrote it as a, as a homicide police. Uh-huh. And Ed Burns wrote the scene. Made it. And it's one of the most it's, famous it's, it's scenes. And we yeah. can't play an audio of it because it's just people no. saying fuck. You have to watch how they get to where they get to. Yeah. When you're seeing them dissecting, they're completely dissecting the crime scene from the bullet entries and bullet <laughs> going to all that. That's, that's it's unbelievable. Like. Uh, so we have uh, we sort of we talked about season two and it, it, it did sort of come to a conclusion as such. Um, per McNaught, Frank, per, per Frank, Frank, per Frank, stupid ass Ziggy, <laughs> Ziggy, fuck, I hate Ziggy. Ziggy fucked everything up, <laughs> everything. Um, and but McNulty was sort of punished in a way, so he was put in the boat. McNulty was um, put in the boat for the start of season two, yeah. and then fucked over homicide again, again, by being the one who found out that they actually died. <laughs> in the side of the Baltimore City, <laughs> which rolls, he oh, was not happy. Not a happy boy. Not a happy bunny. So speaking of bunny, uh, so yes, very good, like that, very good. Bunny Colvin. Uh, so kind of, I don't know what you would call uh, again talking about a guy who's just at the end of retirement, 
but he's a police chief, so he's pretty high up. Um, yeah. And maybe only what one or two steps down beyond the top. So he's, he's, he's part of Top Brass, and he comes up with a, a, a solution slash idea where complete hames during <laughs> during i think a season three or four uh he decides that and uh, again this is what i loved about the wire because uh, it it opens up so many discussions in regards to the social issues and all the rest so his idea was we have widespread crime due to the need for drug dealers to sell their drugs drug users to buy their drugs yep and obviously, along with that comes the likes of theft and robbery and prostitution and all that sort of stuff. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. And his idea was there were a section of the city that was completely sort of run down, derelict. If we take four blocks or whatever, so, you know, you're talking a pretty big area of it. But if you take this area. There's three areas. And you can go and do whatever you want, sell whatever you want, buy whatever you want, use whatever you want, uh, as long as nobody was killed. And nobody was hurt. Nobody was uh, assaulted or anything. The police would look the other way. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this was done. Bonnie Colvin did it himself as his own sort of uh, experiment. You want to call it that? Obviously, and you can imagine it being done here. Uh, nobody, nobody would oh, agree with it. Oh, yeah. It was not going to be agreed with. So he did it of his own own bad. And uh, across the world, I mean, if anybody tried it, um, I don't think the only place that did try it was Amsterdam. Which is why they affectionately called it then. Hamsterdam? Hamsterdam. <laughs> Became known in the show. Now, when I seen that scene, or that, that, that particular storyline mm-hmm. when it started, and Bonnie started started figuring out, well, if I can drop the crime rate and the murder rate and the, 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 the drug arrests mm-hmm. all in these areas and put them all over here, all that goes away because it's all being contained and people yeah. aren't being arrested for the selling. Or yes. the violence it yeah. ends up being. There's a place in Copenhagen called, you ever hear of Christiania? No. And they tried to do the same thing in the, late, the early 70s as Amsterdam, uh-huh. but it never got policed in oh, any way. Right. So what it ended up, it was called a free zone and there was no law. And they were, they were able to, they were left to their own invention. They were able to create an act as they wanted. But the reality of it was, it ended up being this trashy fucking rag and bone man selling people just wrecking everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was horrible. And it was exactly like Amsterdam. Amsterdam. And I remember reading about it years ago. There was a documentary about it. And it was meant to be free love and hippies were taking it over and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But then the drug dealers started figuring out, we can just take the hand out of that mm-hmm. area. And they could because legally there wasn't a stand that no, anybody took on it. who could and couldn't be there. Yeah. And who couldn't, could or couldn't do what they wanted. So it all goes downhill, and it always will, if it's not policed in any way. But the intention was good. The intention was great. The idea made sense, because what it also showed was when you confined it to that small area, all those other corners throughout the city that were just ravaged by guys hanging around them selling drugs, you know, they, the citizens starting to get their city back. People were starting to be able to walk the streets safely. Um, because all this trouble had moved to another area. Mm-hmm. Top Brass, I loved that meeting. There was a couple of meetings that shows you in the show where uh, Bonnie Galvin has to present his stats, and they're going, you're doctor in the stats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no way these stats are real. And he's like, no, they're real. Uh-huh. They and then they, they go to the corners, them. and yeah. everything's clean, and yeah. there's no drug dealers anymore, and they go, how's he done it? But he just didn't tell he them didn't how he did it. it. 
So yeah, Amsterdam was born, and again it was a. Uh, I mean, it it obviously wasn't too long till they shut it down and all the rest. But when it was going, it 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 opened it a bit for the the, the audience or the anybody watching to go. Would it work? You know, if it was placed, you know, and yeah, obviously yeah, no yeah. assault and stuff. But like that's that, a whole social political. That's a social, yeah, and that but, needs that, to be. but I think the whole, I think the whole, all sixty hours of the wire are social political commentary. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it's, it's Rawls that when yeah. he actually has to stand in front of them and tell them what he's done, mm-hmm. it's Rawls who says, "Do you see what he's done here? He's legalized drugs." Yeah, and everybody goes, "Ah, oh, fuck, uh, yeah, yeah," because yeah. that's the political. It was all good there. because the stats were going down. Yeah, but at the end of the day. Uh, it's the politics that matters. It's the politics. And there's a lovely wee quote about this we have, I believe. You have on this job. If the felony rate doesn't fall, you most certainly will. The gods are fucking you. You find a way to fuck them back. It's Baltimore, gentlemen. The gods will not save you. <laughs> yeah. And it sort that of. That was our uh, Captain Burrell, or Chief Burrell. That was <laughs> Big Burrell. Having an hour fucking heart attack about something. <laughs> looking, does he ever smile and look happy in the whole <laughs> yeah. five seasons? Like, well, definitely not five because he gets put in his hole. But <laughs> you know, the entire thing, like they stand with these, they put these people in front of them and go, "You have to drop the rate to this amount," and they uh-huh. go, "Okay." And then when they do it, they go, "How would you do it?" Yeah. And you go, "Did it this way?" And they go, "So you legalize drugs?" He goes, "Essentially, yeah." Right, you're fucked. Yeah, we're all fucked. We're all fucked. Everybody's fucked. But again, it leads back to the discussion. It's a, it turns into a political message, you know. And what which is more, which would you rather have? Yeah, cleaner streets, less crime, or an area where people can get it. Yeah, you know. You know the boy he keeps consulting with. Bunny keeps consulting yes. with the deacon. Uh-huh. He's Melvin Williams. Melvin Williams is the most notorious drug lord in Baltimore's yes. history. Yeah, that civil old man. You knew, but you knew when you, you were knew he watching wasn't an actor. it. He wasn't an actor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ed Burns caught him as well. Right. Okay. So Ed Burns had history with all these boys, <laughs> oh, and because uh, the way that the other police officers are portrayed now, like we said at the start, a lot of people in this show are real people. Yeah. And they've worked with police, or they're producers on the show, or they're something. Mm-hmm. Like the real Jay Landsman, no big fat Jay, who's yeah. the head of the homicide. The real Jay Landsman is, you know, the other cop that Bonnie's with, the white guy who stands so shoulder to shoulder to him with the mustache. Who's going, he's the real Jay Landsman. Get the fuck. I did so not know that. He's the basis for a lot of characters in the show. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the real McNulty is Ed Burns. Because Ed Burns. Oh, uh, yes, that would make sense. Okay. Is the fucking guy who ends up befriending most of these. Yeah. He catches them, mm-hmm. but they all end up coming back to him. I'm, yes. I'm pretty sure and the whole wire itself the whole reasoning behind this TV show is a story that Ed Burns told David Simon about a wiretap that he was on in the early 80s uh, so Ed Burns is the real thread through this thing that sort of ties it together but David Simon along with now we have to talk about some of the writers that run this fucking thing mm-hmm. the guy George Pelicanos yes who Stephen King called the greatest American crime novelist of all time he wrote loads of episodes Richard Price, who wrote, like, Clockers. Remember, right, Clockers. Spike, it was a huge book. It was Harvey Keitel, wasn't it? And it was, a, a, yes, Spike Lee did it. He wrote episodes. Dennis Lehane, who wrote Mystic River and Gone, Gone Baby yeah, Gone. Yeah. He wrote it. So they didn't just hire people yeah, who they knew the sure world. They read good crime writers. That's what you needed. And you got shows. And you could see it. Yeah. Because of it, sometimes the dramatization looks amateurish. It's because the person you're looking at is a real person. <laughs> but the writing shit. keeps yeah, oh, yeah. the whole thing afloat. Well, that's what I was going to say. The writing makes sure then uh, even a non-actor can survive. Oh, yeah. 
a show with such top caliber means that an action, an absolute amateur can still survive in the show. That is a testament to the writing, without a doubt. Uh, there's comedy in this too. I mean, there's bits and pieces. I mean, McNulty and Bunks sort of <laughs> brings it on. The, the What's ha- the plural of pussy? <laughs> pussy. <laughs> and then he goes, McNulty told me that. <laughs> when he's missing McNulty. Yeah, and it's some of the saddest shit ever because he's just drunk missing just McNulty being a scallion. You've seen a bromance just falling <laughs> apart. Uh, you've got, but I mean, you've got to take, trying to take the piss out of the boys with the hats. Um, we'll, we'll play a clip of that. Uh now again, uh, I'll just say this is another uh, Richard Price. He he. This is in Clockers, mm-hmm. um, and this is one of the episodes he wrote. So this bit is Herc, Herc and Carver are sitting in the car, just doing their normal, watching out, watching out, and just in a moment of the windows down, he shouts out to one of the kids who's wearing his cap sideways, <laughs> <laughs> like this unbearable looking woman. You know, like that old tune from the Golden Girls? The short one with the Coke bottle glasses. The guy. Hey, yo. Huh? Let me ask you a question. Where do you guys get those hats with the bills over the ears like that? I go into all the city stores, and uh, the only ones I could find are the ones with the bills in the front. No, it's the same. Just turn it sideways on your head. Thanks. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's boredom in the car, like. <laughs> That's a <taking> fucking hand. <laughs> the poor fucker falling for it. He was expecting to get a mouthful. <laughs> Fuck you, man. But nah, huh? the boy explains it. <laughs> he just turned it around. <laughs> uh, well, probably <laughs> one of my favorite recurring characters, which isn't a big one, um, is one of the politicians. But we should mention one of our own. Yes. We should mention one of our own. One of our own uh, is uh, Mr. Aidan Gill. Mm-hmm. Who plays a councilman actually? Who's uh, Tommy Carcetti? Yeah, uh, fantastic. He's a major part of season four, major season part, three, uh, but season four is really, really. He really shines in it, and again, I didn't know the man until I watched this. What? I didn't know him. Oh, you didn't know him. Didn't know all? who he was. No, Queer Folk and stuff. He no, was, I didn't, didn't really? watch Queer Folk. Um, I didn't know who he was at all. So I nearly passed out because again, his American accent is fantastic. Yeah. So I when I started, I was like, hey. He's from here. Aye. Yeah. So it really was the dawn of taking just the best of the best from everywhere. You yeah. didn't have to be the American, uh, you know, well, an I mean, American actor of that age. Yeah. I you mean, know. it was actually nearly getting to the point where I mean, at that period between two thousand two, everything you know, Batman begins. So Christian Bale gets Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrew Garfield then gets Spider Man. You know, you're talking English actors doing just good actors. Of, yeah, but then. Um, a lot of Americans I'm just going what the fuck is going on well, why can I What's not wrong get this role <laughs> um, but yeah so Aidan Gillen plays a, a, a fantastic part in this and mm-hmm. uh, sort of um, the, the the genesis of a of a career politician you know you just see somebody who's setting out his path and doesn't give a fuck who he, which of the old guard he shoves out of the way mm. um, and again sort of a, a true reflection on life I mean there's so many young politicians coming in who want to but it's also an analysis change, of, of how politics is played mm-hmm. and how you can just get one good hand and you can become mayor. Yep. You and, know. And uh, he then tries to capitalize on it as, as they all do. And it starts to show that it becomes maybe just falls into the trap of corruption, yep. as always. Yep. Uh, but the other sort of big politician we have in this is the senator for the Baltimore area, Mr. Clay Davis. Fucking Clay. Boy. Clay is. Uh, <laughs> From minute one. 
<laughs> the scoundrelness of him. He's just a, he is one of those. Uh, we know a few of them about here. There's a, there's a few of them there's certainly. There's a few career politicians about here who'd there's be able to just few certainly. They'd be able to spin you a wee bit and they'd have a bit of charm on whenever they want to and all the rest. Even when they're they, thieving out of one pocket and patting you the back of the oh, other, they're telling you. They're telling you. That they're about to do it, and they do it, and then they tell you why it was good for you. <laughs> fucking who? Uh, you could see Clay Davis as a preacher. You know, one of those you fucking gospel hour. Yeah. <laughs> Place my hands on your face. Uh, so Clay Davis, I just love it because he then came up with uh, is a catch, not a catchphrase. I suppose it was a catchphrase it in that is sense, a but it's just, but he it, says it over and over so many times. There's, and, one, there's one early in season four, or is it late in season three, where he extends it, and that's where it becomes art. Yes, I, but actually to the point too, you, I, whenever that happened, I remember thinking, going, there must be a behind-the-scenes bet going on. Aye. How long can you do it? You but know, to it, get away with a wig, but somebody can't It gets funnier. It gets funnier. The longer he does it. So yeah. this is 56. So just sit back. <laughs> if you're listening to this in headphones, turn them up and listen to well, Clay. We'll, 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 we'll finish with, uh, with, with this quote, but um, Clay doesn't come in until later on. Maybe he's, he's, he, yeah. he's, 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 he's big into later uh, uh, in the seasons. Yeah. But he's mentioned a few times early on. Yeah, but so this is 55 seconds of somebody who only came in late into the thing. So he's <laughs> so many so times. many times yeah. as he said. Ready, ready? Shit, boy. Think I'm going to be the scapegoat for the whole damn machine? She. That's a good one. <laughs> Shit, as far as the federal money's concerned, he's everything. The faucet, the goose. The goose. The one that lays them golden eggs. <laughs> Major crimes. Shit. <laughs> they gonna come talk to me about money laundering in West Baltimore? Shit. <laughs> Looking forward to working with you. Shouldn't you be dead to me? Shit. <laughs> Took it easy on you, son. Pie in the sky. Shit, partner. <laughs> and it's your people up in my shit. Not no feds, not no safe people from Annapolis. It's motherfuckers from my own city. For all that profile, shit. It, partner, you should be paying me a fee. Maurice Doby? For governor of my state? Shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he does it really well. Really well. <laughs> my, 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 my favorite, like, there's a bit in season five where he's being brought to trial, like, and he's coming out. He doesn't realize that there's going to be any sort of media attention on it, and he walks out with a real sad face, <laughs> and he looks at all the cameras, he puts his head down, Gets his face right, starts smiling and walks down the steps and you're going, that's it all there. And oh, one uh, fucking one sort of movement, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think we, we could we could talk for fucking hours about this. We could. The levels of it, but I mean, it's the reason we picked it very early on is is exactly this. You know, we're over an hour into it and we could talk for another hour. Uh, there's, uh, hopefully, obviously, you, you you hopefully uh, have watched it already, mm-hmm. and you haven't got this far into it without actually taking a look. But go go and rewatch it if you if you were like me and you hadn't watched it maybe in a couple of years. Go and rewatch it because it it it's sad actually in a way at how much it still resonates today. Yeah, we we talked at the start about the whole Sopranos this, like, wire like, thing. Think about this man, eighteen years ago. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, when you watch that, it recently, finished twelve years ago. You it. Could have been made yesterday. Yeah. It's so relevant. It's, it's so well it's done. It's very adaptable. So, you yeah. don't miss. There's there's a few wee bits I want to talk about before we finish. But the difference between it and The Sopranos, I think, is The Sopranos is the best TV show ever made. I think The Wire is the best moment in television. 
Okay, yeah. I and it's whole run yeah, yeah, because... I can go with that. You, you see things... You, it, it's it's really sad at times mm-hmm. and it's very satirically witty at times. And you can't... The reality in between all that is fucking horrifying. Like, it really, it's really bad. The stuff with the schools in season four and the way the newspapers are treated in season five. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the fate of characters that you fall in love with that you shouldn't be in love with because they're absolute <laughs> yeah. fucking skithers. And, like, and the, also the head thing is you've got the head, the heads... The head-to-heads within the crime. Yeah. And then the heads of the crime versus the cops. You know, we haven't even really touched on Marlowe and Chris yeah. and, and Snoop. Snoop as you well. Know, yeah. Snoop is actually a convicted murderer. What <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, from when he was 14. Right. Actually shot a person, killed them, and then after the show ended in 2011, was caught up in a drug bust. Uh, so Snoop. these are real Baltimore... Yeah. Like, she was brought in by Omar. Uh, the, yes, right, yeah. uh-huh. he, he actually met her in a bar and went, come here, I talked to her. <laughs> and got brought into the show as a major character. Massive Not fact, an actor. Yeah. Didn't ha- or didn't have to. So it's just so, so some of it's too real. You could, I was just, just going to say you could tell she was just completely in it. Yeah, she didn't have to do any acting. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> so Tom McCarthy plays the journalist in season five. Yes, who is making up stories? Uh-huh. You know who Tom McCarthy is? Mm, no. He wrote and directed Spotlight and won an Oscar for best <laughs> film and best. He also was a writer. He wrote Up. Did not know that. He no. wrote The Station Agent and directed it. Oh no way! Yes, yeah, yeah. so he's really established. Um. During the fifth season, the HBO produced three short uh, stories depicting different moments in the wire, and it's only available on the DVD. Uh, the three prequels depict the first meeting between McNulty and Bunk. Right. Uh, prop Joe as a slick business kid and a young Omar. Oh. So if you've got the DVD and you haven't watched that, go and check out it. Check it out. And check out Prop Joe. We haven't talked about him either. There's so many. You know, there's so fucking, many. Yeah. I mean, it's cheese. We didn't talk about cheese, cheese, Method Man. So... To end it all, we probably need to talk about the, the theme music. The opening. I mean, I, I controversially might have said during the Sopranos um, episode that we did that the after the HBO. Mm-hmm. That intro, I immediately think intro, of. Yeah. I immediately think of Woke Up This Morning. Yeah. Um, that comes second. Again, like I said, uh, like the TV show. But sometimes I, I, I would I listen know. to that maybe more than. Wait, the uh, the Blind Boys of Alabama. Yes. First season version. Did a great job. It's iconic. A great job. Now, I've known the Tom Waits version for quite some time because it's on a live DVD as well. Frank's Wild Years, I didn't listen to, to you know, yeah, I you know in the last that, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. But uh, the the Tom Waits version is the original. Season 2 is the See, original. I, again, again, not knowing things at the time. And, I mean, not really looking because we didn't get broadband in 2003. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I never I never looked it up to see. I thought the, the the Blind Boys album was the original. Okay. And then they got, like, the likes of Tom Waits not to come in afterwards to do another right. version of. Uh, what There was another TV show that did that. Uh, Weeds. Okay, right. Yeah, they got different people to come in. The Elvis Costello and oh, you different, different versions of the same? season had a different of the same song. Okay, uh, so I thought that's what was happening with this, and then I realized obviously it's a Tom Waits song. Um, but they go back to the it's it's Blind Boys. What's Val the order? Alabama, so there's five Blind Boys, Alabama, Tom Waits, the Neville Brothers, Neville Brothers, well, Domage, yeah. who are a group of teenagers yeah. from Baltimore, and then the final one is Steve Earle, who's in the show, that's doing right, a version of it's probably the worst one. It's probably the, yeah. Man, you both do the dodo. Yeah. He's like, nah, no, that no. doesn't work. One, two, and three for me. Uh, Aye. Yeah. Four is nice because it's the kids and it's sort yeah, of it's groovy okay, sort of one. One, two, and three in that order for me, I think. But one would yeah. be my top Aye. if I have to, just have to, like. So, I mean, on that note, we should just. Yeah. We should probably just, yeah. Call the 5 She. She. If you 
walk through the garden You better watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the street in
Devil. 